The world's most advanced prediction technology is now available to all players. Equine Edge AI analyzes all horse performance data, track conditions, jockey trainer statistics, and a horse's genetic strength to generate powerful metrics and ticket recommendations. Backed up by real-time data with Equine Edge, handicapping is simple, smart, and efficient. It takes the guesswork out of betting the horses so you can focus on enjoying the thrill of victory. Play like the pros today at equineedge.com. As part of our special summer promotion, we have an exclusive offer that is only available to In The Money Media listeners. All In The Money Media listeners who are new to Equine Edge get the service absolutely free for an entire month. Simply use promo code FREEMONEY on the account sign-up page or go directly to equineedge.com forward slash free money with Delmar and Saratoga in full swing. Now is the perfect time to sign up for your free account and get familiar with the platform. Welcome to episode 106 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Lugamiel and today my special guest is none other than in the money's very own Matt Vagvolgi. Me and Matt go over four races from this past Saturday at Saratoga. Those races are race number one, three, seven, and eight. And some angles that we talk about are Spencer's in-depth trainer and jockey stats, how a Chad Brown could pay $50 plus in a turf route, and how MTOs are actually a very positive angle at Saratoga. This is Redboard Rewind. Very happy to have back on Redboard Rewind, one of my favorite, favorite guests. It's Matt Vagfolgi. Matt, how are you today? Doing great, Spencer. Glad, glad to be uh, glad to be back and uh, glad to be back when it's Saratoga time. I'm, I'm happy you were able to. I contacted you late Saturday. I, I had been trying to get a couple other people and they just uh, were unavailable. So I had, I had to go to the bullpen and uh, glad I could get the uh, Mariano of In The Money to come on <laughs> here. And uh, especially with Saratoga, man, it's such a fun time of year, every single uh podcasts I do but these podcasts to me are special obviously I started at Saratoga a couple of years ago doing these so very excited uh anything for the, the meet so far that you find kind of interesting um no I, I think um you know it's, it's been a good meet so far for me uh personally but um you know there's been a mix of some off days and and some nice days so you've got you kind of got the full spectrum so far of uh races taking off the turf you know races being on the turf um, I would say the one thing that I, I, I did like look up to see just, just out of curiosity, how successful MTOs are at Saratoga. And it's, it's pretty crazy. It's oh, got a yeah. five year, five year positive horses. So, um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm always hoping for the best of weather and to have both turf and dirt races, but Saratoga is like the one track that I'm like, just as excited when it gets taken off the turf. Cause I think you just get some horses that are just bet terribly and and bet off turf form and and kind of some head scratchers and i think you could find some value and i think that that proved out when you looked at the races uh on uh on, on sunday it it's uh it's been absolutely crazy so far just even the first week everyone was calling it chocotoga now we have the rain come second week and for being chocotoga jose ortiz last week had six winners pay over ten dollars i mean that's yeah. incredible when you think about that stat yeah, it's it's so competitive. It's competitive with with trainers. It's competitive with jockeys. It's just so many races. You feel like in a ten horse field, like eight of them are pointed exactly for this spot. So, um, you know that that's what I love about Saratoga. That's what I love about summer racing. I mean, I think you're getting uh, some of that out in Del Mar uh, as well, especially with that ship and win program. That's been mm-hmm. an interesting uh, angle so far. Is trying to sniff some of those horses out. So, uh, you know, the the racing is top notch. The the fields are are, are good size and. Even when it gets washed off, I think there's really good value, uh, especially at Saratoga. And it, it's really uh, Maker had a, co- a good week this week. He had five and three days. I think he had a hat trick on Friday or Thursday. I can't remember which day it was. And you look at all the competitiveness, and I just think that some of these stats are so interesting. Uh, Santana, who usually rides for Asmussen, he's 0 for 16 on turf. And Asmussen's, I think, 0 for 5 on turf so far. So I think that's kind of an interesting standard. The, the couple that really stand out to me was – 
Junior Alvarado is 0 for 8. Is Castellano is 0 for 16 in route races. Pletcher's 0 for 13 for turf. Mott's 0 for 10 on turf. I mean, when you start getting these prime time connections, really, you know, 10, 15 plus, I mean, I start to just fade automatically and hope that they just, and if they beat me once and they pay 3.30, I don't care. Yeah, it's, it's, I find I see that quite a bit throughout the years uh, at Saratoga, especially. Um, I mean, you look at Chad, Chad's not having the best of starts uh, either, but uh, to me, I, I like to, again, I like to look where the public is now starting to fade based on those numbers. Like the bigger they get, I think that the more obvious they become. Mm-hmm. And I think the public, the general betting public responds accordingly. I think that's where I like to maybe use some of those horses and jump in because that yeah. you may actually start to get a price. Mm-hmm. Um, if the horse, you know, if I think the horse has talent and they're just betting it because X trainer is, is over 20. Um, but no, I, you can look at it the other way, like you said, too, of just, you know, you know, beat me. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the Dubai horse in the, in the Kentucky Derby. It's yeah. like, just go ahead and beat me. You know, I'll, I'll gladly take my lumps and, and, and play against, but, uh, I, I think if you do, I think there's times where you do get a price, the bigger that stat gets, uh, the more it goes on. So I, I pay attention to that. I try to see if I can find some value just based on, uh, what, what's easy to see in black and white. I think a jockey for me, one that over the years I've PTF has always told me he's a decent jockey is a Dylan Davis. I've always seemed to, whenever I'm off of him, he beats me whenever Monami loses. Uh, he had four horses this week, pay 10 to one or higher and hitting the, or went off at 10 to one or higher hitting the board. And he had a double on Sunday. So maybe this guy is starting to heat up and going to make it a little bit interesting. He's obviously, I don't think he's a top three candidate, but I think he could, you know, if he has a decent couple of weeks can sneak into the top five. And, you know, when you look at the average, you know, pay payment plan stuff like that i just think that he's one that you know can pay 12 dollars average a winner and you know really spice up some good exotics for you no I- uh, it, it speaks to the depth of the colony right where mm-hmm. you're not just getting one or two jockeys seemingly getting every every good horse it's kind of like that breeder's cup effect where you can find a legitimate 20 to one to bet on i i think you can you know, I think jockeys that aren't the, the, the Ortiz that aren't the Rosarios, they, they start to, you know, get faded a bit just because who they are and just, they're still fantastic riders. No, I think I have a little bit of a similar uh, history with, with Dylan Davis. It seems like when I'm on him, it's uh, nowhere to be found when I'm off, he beats me, but um, I've had some success with Dylan. And and I think, again, there's just so many good jockeys. You mentioned uh, Alvarado before he's one of my favorite turf jockeys. So hopefully that, that, that turns around there. So, but I just think, the depth top to bottom is great. And I think you're able to find some prices on maybe not the, the, the jockey of the day, right? You know, it's a good, good, good jockey, but just not getting the play because you know, there's both Ortiz are live on horses. So um, no, I think the depth and the quality certainly uh, you know, factors into price. If I had to put your feet to the fire only two weeks in, if you had to pick between Jose Ortiz, Irad or Louis size, who wins the jockey title? Ooh, that's, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I think Irad is, is always going to be going to be there. And I think we'll get the, the, the mounts to, to, to put him in, in the mix. Um, I would pull for, for Saez. I just, I love his riding style mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk about him in, in, in a bit, but um, you know, listen, I think he's a jockey that understands the, you know, the, 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 the weapons of the horse that he's on, so to speak. And, and when there's speed, he, he feels free to, to take it and, and force the field to do things that maybe they don't want to do. So uh, I, I, I love, I love his aggressive style. So I would, I would pull for size, but that's going to be, that's going to be a tough uh, down to the, down to the line uh, race. I think. Well, let's switch tactics, kind of go away from the stats and more onto the betting side. Obviously I, you know, week one was Chocotoga. People were tweeting all over. There's only been, you know, one $20 horse compared to X, Y, Z last couple of years. I feel like, you need to adapt to that point. Obviously this week changed it around, but that first week, like those first couple of days, if it seems like there's a lot of chalk winning, I mean, sometimes just the public is on for a week and off for the next. And I think if you can early on figure out, Hmm, I think the public this week has really got a good idea on the races. It helps you be, you know, if you know, it's going to be four out of five chalks that win in a pick five sequence, but you can play a 12 or $20 ticket with $18 ticket. And really, you know, hit it four or five times. I mean, that's the same as hitting, you know, a regular on pick four, pick five ticket. Yeah. And I agree. And I think one of the things that, that I've said uh, quite a bit, um, you know, there's days where I'm looking to take 
leverage out of the pool for, for the payout. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm leveraging my bankroll for the payout. And, and I think those have been the days where, you know, I was just talking to Marshall Graham about this when we were playing, you know, I, I hit a double that paid, you know, 3,400 bucks and it was a nine to five over a four to one. You know, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like outrageous prices, but yeah. I pressed my bankroll because I felt those horses couldn't lose and I can tie them up together and play it through the double pool. Yeah. And I got four to one and, and change right off, off of that, off of that payout. And even in the pick fives, it's, I had a nice score first weekend and I just, again, I played skinny, but I, I leveraged my bankroll and, and, uh, you know, happened to be right. And I think that's the key is, you know, yes, price certainly matters, but when you have conviction, especially on a, on, on a few different races within a sequence, like a pick five and you play them accordingly and you press them. I mean, that's where you turn chalk days into a really nice score. I feel like you, you always see, Oh, the pick five carry over over every single screen on the OTB where it's like, if people were to take notes or even if just, you know, tracks did this, Hey, the daily double over the last two days has paid $15. I mean, if you're playing single horses into each other for $15, I mean, that's pretty solid. I just think people just all they think of is I want to buy this new, you know, Silverado truck and I can't wait to hit the pick five for 15000 And then it pays 280 and they're out because they were playing all these different horses that they just thought they needed to hit. And my, my friend hit it the other day, he played a little $24 ticket and the thing paid only $168. But I get it in the long run, not good. But I feel like if four or five times a month, you know that it's going to be that chalk ticket day and you can play it like that. Then you're no worse off than people who, you know, we call them the plus EV police and they just try and kill those kind of tickets down. Yeah. I I think it's, again, it's all, it's all about opinions. If you play your opinions appropriately, like I had someone ask me um, last week, like, what's your win percentage? And I said, (laughs) I don't know, probably pretty bad. And he kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? It's pretty bad. I thought you're, you're pretty good at this. I'm like, the ROI is up. And to me, that's the only number that matters to me. Correct. The win percentage, I can care less. And the, I think it's key though, like understanding playing the pick six or pick five, your win percentage in terms of your hits are going to be low if you're playing it right. Like I'm not playing, I'm not playing to hit it. I'm playing to cash it. And that's, there's a difference in that. And I just have that understanding that I'm going to go through weeks, potentially months of not hitting a pick five, but knowing if I play it appropriately, that hit is going to wipe out those losses and I'll be, be, you know, piling back on the positive ROI. So, you know, again, I think it's more about opinions than it is, you know, uh, than, than trying to hit it every day, If you're trying to hit it every day. You're probably using too many horses Mm -hmm. and you're spending too much to try to, to try to hit the sequence. So, you know, again, to me, it's about opinions. I love the win percentage talk too, because I think people they are like, what's your, what's your win percentage? Well, it's probably, you know, for me, 25% 25% for top picks. And then, you know, it should be getting progressively worse the farther down you go. But if I, if my third pick is only hitting 14%, but their average win is $22, doesn't matter. Like that's, you should be playing all my third picks then really. Cause you're just, that's how you're making positive ROI off my, you know, if I was giving picks out on in the money or the daily gallop or stuff like that. And when people are trying to play exactas and trifectas and they're, it, it comes down to opinion and ticket structure. And I, I think the main thing is, and I tell this to a lot of people who I'm trying to help improve, go through a bunch of races. And if you can find the contender in four out of five races and use minimum of four horses, I know it sounds like a lot when there's a one to five that you can just single, but if you can find at least four to five races like that, and you can continue to do it, then at least, you know, that you're understanding in each race, who's going to win. You're always going to have that one race where we're going to talk about today, where one horse probably should have been a contender. And I tossed. And he won. He paid a balloon of a price. If you can find contenders, then you are a good handicapper. Now you just need to focus on the betting side. Too many people think, oh, I only went too deep here and my handicapping sucks. Well, if you thought five could win, you only went too deep. That's a problem. Yeah, and I think it's understanding, you know, again, there's more involved, especially in multi-race exotics Mm -hmm. that I've learned over the years in pick five and, and pick sixes. I'd rather take a stand against certain horses. I'd rather try to, you know, try to press it and, and hit it rather than just spread and play all and, and, and hope for the best. I mean, I, I just think once I've changed that, my betting is tighter in terms of the dollar spent 
And then the relative ROI that comes back when I do hit it is just multiples of, of my bankroll that goes into the type of bet like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a learning process. Again, I certainly have learned throughout the years, but you know, I'd rather go on a, a cold streak for a while and then hit something nice. And cause I know long-term the mm-hmm. average ROI should be, should be positive. Let's go ahead and jump into the first of four races. Race number one from Saratoga Saturday, acclaiming 40,000 N2L, 101 miles on the dirt. What do we like in here, Matt? Uh, I felt like this was, um, you know, tacking onto our conversation uh, with uh, talking about Saez about intent in races. And I, and I just felt like this was a race, but just based on pace alone. I felt that Saez picking up the mount on the six, uh, Ashar would, was interesting to me. I felt like this horse wants to be forwardly placed. Um, I think that if, you know, getting a jockey like Saez to really, really push this horse out, you know, was on this horse back in Gulfstream a couple of times and, and, and did try to press the pace, but just relative to this field, I think it's, it's going to force, you know, I think it either forces other riders to do things they don't want to do or Ashar gets out there and, and sets a, a, a nice clip. So that was the top play here. I did think that um, uh, the, the seven uh, Royal Realm was probably best in this race. Uh, the morning line reflected it. I know the, uh, the tote didn't at the end of the day, but I felt like this horse was the class of the field and I think could get a setup. But I just feel like, you know, that win was, was coming off a hot pace at Belmont. So I, I don't know if this horse would have the pace to run into. Um, as, as well as the five, uh, primetime player, that was a horse, the deep closer where if horses did try to go with, with a char early on, uh, this would certainly be a horse that I want to be, uh, picking up the pieces, uh, late, but again, another horse I felt that had too much to do. So kind of circled back and, uh, and, and landed on, on the six, uh, in, in this race here. I think when you, first of all, just look at the way the race was Royal realm. I, I looked through this horse. I said, sure. Has a chance drop first time in a claiming race. When the tote goes from six to five to three to one, uh, listen, David's the best in the business that made me so nervous. And I just instantly tossed the horse out was definitely a contender for me. Uh, a char. Listen, when you get Louie on a horse, you know, he's going to go to the front and be aggressive. The last two races being in the slop and being as bad as they were for a wet Tomlinson horse with a 425. I mean, you can just be be bred for the for the surface and not like it still. I didn't want anything to do with this horse. I just super nervous. The last second was in that allowance at Oakland Park. And I thought it was maybe just tailing off in form after that 90. Uh, the horse I ended up on was good culture. Jose Ortiz. We talked about how good he's been coming off the claim for another hot barn and, and maker who had been, done so well so far this week. And the 73 was the best number at the distance at Keeneland. And I just, when I saw the price at nine to one, I said, okay, I don't really like anything in this race. This horse is at least nine to one with razor sharp connections. I mean, if I'm ever going to get good value, this is kind of the shot I want to take. I thought any one of five could win this race. I, re- I really didn't think there was any big standout in this race. I agree. This is a tough way to, to start the card. And, and that kind of comes back to why I landed on the horse that I did. I could make a case, but also knock every horse here. And I figured, you know what, if a horse can get loose, you know, catch me if you can and, and, and see what, see what we can do. But um, I think the tote spoke uh, quite a bit uh, when, when this board opened up, it was kind of like seeing a shark go off the favorite compared to the morning line, go up everyone. It was almost like everyone knew the tip on a shark, even though there wasn't a tip to begin with. Right. It's one of those situations where, uh, you know, it happens a lot uh, in day to day for me is I'm not as smart as I think I am. And uh, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was thinking I can get away with a decent price on this horse. But you know what? I felt two to one, especially when you're starting to pick bets and stuff like that. I think this board was, uh, you know, at all. Um, so I felt like I was getting some some value there. And, and yeah, I like the seven, but I just felt like there was too much to do. So, again, I felt like I can, I can pick up some equity, even with a relatively short price. For me, it was good culture. For Matt, it's Ashar. Let's see who gets it done in the opener at the spa right now. Ashar away well, along with a jumpster far outside. It is Royal Realm, and in behind is primetime player as the field races into that clubhouse turn, and Ashar is in front. Royal Realm on the outside in second. Jumpster is third. At the rail is Geocare, and alongside is primetime player. And then we come back to uh, Breaking Stones, and the trailer is Good Culture in seventh. The field heads for the backstretch. 
and the leader is Ashar. In front here, by a half length, Royal Realm is on the outside in second, and then it is Primetime Player who is next in third, followed by Breaking Stones on the outside in fourth, Jumpster is down at the rail, then it is Geocare, and trailing the field is Good Culture in seventh. The half mile went in 48 and three. Ashar shows the way here by a length and a quarter with Royal Realm chasing in second. It's a gap of two. Back to prime time player in third. Another two and a half to uh, Breaking Stones who is running in fourth as the field goes around the far turn. Ashar's in front by two. Royal Realm runs in second. Then it is prime time player next in third. And Breaking Stones is fourth. Followed by Geocare who has made up some ground in fifth and continues to advance on the outside. Ashar leads with less than a quarter of a mile to the finish. Royal Realm is in second and being asked for more. Primetime players on the outside. They're moving for the eighth pole. And Ashar is trying to take them wire to wire. Leads by two. Royal Realm in second. Then primetime player Geocare is out in the middle of the track and coming on. But they're coming for the finish now. And it is Ashar. And he does it under Louis Saez. Photo for second, Royal Realm or Geocare. Primetime player was fourth. And the number six, Ashar, goes off the favorite, pays a nice 680. 81 buyer, so obviously the wet track races, I guess, are just going to be the anomaly for me. My horse runs fifth off the board. I, I found the super strange just looking at the chart now. The public had it absolutely perfect. Favorite one, the highest price went off or went off and ran last and everyone else in between was right in the numbers. Super, super strange that you actually see that every once in a while on, on the charts. Yeah. Sometimes the, uh, the betting public is, uh, is, is collectively smart. So um, yeah, I got, I felt like I got a little lucky here, um, but it was the race I wanted to see run. And um, I did pull back a little bit based on price. Uh, I felt like it was a little too low, but you know, like I mentioned before, I felt like in pick bets, that's a horse I wanted to try to take a stand and single with and, and see if I can catch some something else underneath it in the next races. But um, yeah, I felt like the, I really started to move away from even, even including Royal realm. When I saw the board, I felt like my feeling was consistent uh, with, with the money. And, and uh, I wound up using a sharp pretty exclusively in, uh, in, in, in pick bets, pick fives. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, primetime player made a nice move, but just, again, it's, it's nice to, when you, when you handicap a race a certain way and, and what you see actually happen is what you handicapped is pretty nice. And, and again, I just felt like the, the five had too much to do and that, that turned out to be the case. And again, Chocotoga top two choices run one, two exact. It comes back a nice 1060. I know people will say nice 1060, but I mean, when you're getting 10 to one, your money for two chalks, I feel like that works out. Geo care coming off second off the long layoff. And that was how he won based off was just his regular running lines ran an 83. So actually ran his best number fresh and then declined, but one second time. So maybe this is a horse that really likes to run second time off layoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, again, this was, um, this was a tough race to, to, to start the day, but, um, you know, just kind of went with, uh, what I've been seeing so far of, you know, and, and these, these types of dirt races, you want to be on the lead or close to it. And that's where the success has really been. And, and, uh, just, just to quickly add, if, if you're, if you're a, a member of uh, ITM, uh, in the money plus, I did a whole breakdown of Saratoga stats. And, and one of them you mentioned there was Aragon as, as the morning line odds maker, he is spot on. I'm telling you right now, that's the oddity of this race here because some of the the stats that I ran of just mm-hmm. hitting at 35, 40% clip of, of favorites broken down by all different class levels and having a significant ROI yeah. is is pretty impressive. So you're right on that. He's spot on. This was this was uh this one you could tell early that uh, the horse is pretty dead on the board. Let's move on to our second race, race number three, open twenty five thousand clamor, six and a half on the dirt. What are we like in this race, Matt? I felt in this race, uh, the, the, the five, um, uh, just pulling this up here at the five Al cools, I thought would be able to get out in this sprint and, and, and get out to the lead and be able to settle and, and create a pretty slow, slow pace. And, you know, I just felt like, I know the last race was on the slop at Belmont, um, you know, did something similar stock to just, just barely off the lead and then want to pulling away. Uh, by three and a half lengths. I just thought that this horse can get out. And and again, just playing off that first race of the day that we just went through, I felt, you know, early speed is good. And I felt if you leave this 
horse off the hook can take him can take him gate to wire. So I, I like the the five El Cools as as the top pick. Um, I also liked I also used the two uh, win with pride. That was going to be more of a the stalking play for me. Um, if a horse did go out that I didn't expect and, and pressed the lead a bit, I felt this horse could sit. Uh, right off the pace. And I thought Saez can be able to, to take hold and, and, and to pounce. And, and uh, so I, I just, those were the two that I liked. I really didn't like too much else in this race. And, and it kind of, you know, looked like the, the board uh, agreed with me here, a little bit of confusion with us with a relatively small field, but uh, the, the two win with pride and the, uh, the five Al cools, the five being my uh, top play in this race here. For me, I was more levitating to the outside, the Sakari coming off the claim of, Patty Rounds going to Oscar Brera. I know that he's not that good off the claim, but Cardenas rode this horse to a third with an 82. Now they drop back in for 25. I just thought him going with Manny, who has had kind of an up and down. He had a pretty good first week. He was not that good this week. I kind of thought this horse would be a little bit live on the board. Uh, Barrera not good off layoffs, 26, 0 for 26. But I just thought this one with the way the board was as well, and this is something when the favorite is three to one, please play the race. Cause even if you're wrong, like the, the amount of times you'll be right in this race, it'll pay for itself. I agree. Especially with the type of field, you got a seven horse field, three to one favorite. That just, again, yeah. If you, if you have opinion, a half of an opinion, right. You, you want to play. And I did in this race. I think that's a great point. Cause I did play uh, through the wind pools. I did play the five, uh, seeing the three to one uh, favoritism again, just, just based on what I thought was the right trip. And, and uh, also the horse has some talent. So uh, no, I agree. This was a very, um, you could tell that the the public was very confused in, in this race. And, and and again, if you did have an opinion, that's where that, uh, you know, nice value comes into play. We'll talk about the horse. I like second strolling uh, Jose Ortiz, Chad Summers, Ch- Chad one that I don't usually like to use a lot. Uh, nine for 34 had, had a nice little win to race ratio there. And when horses are getting claimed three straight races, uh, something in one of the old books I learned is the horses are just going to come out really fit because trainer trainers like this are not going to claim horses that they don't think they're fit. And I just like the fact that this one had been, you know, switching barns back and forth. The race for 20 last time was a good second. Uh, Manny jumping over to the seven leaves Jose to jump on, which I think is a positive jockey change. And obviously Al cools, being the winner of that race, I just didn't like the claim. I, I when you're training claiming from Peter Miller, I mean terrifying for me. And then Amira Chikali just won eight percent. I just want something different. Obviously two for four at the distance. And obviously this horse likes to win as well, four for twelve. Javier being in that weird slump too this year. I just I was looking to avoid this one, but obviously and especially when it went off the favorite, I felt like this is a favorite I can try and avoid and try and spice up some exotics here. Yeah, no, it's great, great betting board. Um, you know, if, like I said, if you have uh, an opinion elsewhere, you're certainly going to get uh, certainly going to get compensated for it. For me, it's the number seven, the Sakari. For Matt, it's seven or the number five, Al Cools. Let's see who gets it done here in this twenty-five thousand claimer right now. And they're off. When with pride was away well as the field moves up the back stretch, and there are a bunch of them going out for the early lead. Win with Pride is right there, and Al Cools and Strolling is on the outside. Then it is Universal Payday, who's racing in fourth. Papazar's alongside in fifth, followed by Cantrell Hill, who is next in sixth at the back of the pack, along with the Sakare. The leader is Win with Pride in front here by a length. Al Cools runs in second through an opening quarter mile in 22 and two-fifths seconds. Win with Pride steps away here to lead by almost two. Al Cools is in second. Strolling is next in third and moving up on the outside. It's a gap of four back to uh, Papazar. Down at the rail, Universal Payday is dropping back. Gaining ground on the outside is the Sakari. And then it is Cantrell Hill. The half went in 45 and four-fifths seconds as the field heads for home. Strolling is on the outside. Win with Pride is down at the rail. Al Cools is in between. So it's three of them across. And the Sakari is running in fourth, followed by Cantrell Hill in fifth. They're moving for the 16th pole. And it is Strolling with a nose in front of Al Cools. Strolling now gets away. And Strolling will be the winner here. Close for second between Al Cools and Cantrell Hill. And the number six strolling wins paying 1160 with an 83 buyer. I unfortunately could not get the six and the seven combined in the exacta. I ended up going with the Sakari at six to one on top. 
uh, tough, frustrating race for me. And I think I'll just be looking more, more and more towards, you know, if I see horses that are being claimed four or five times in a row that they are, you know, just going to be fit that next time out. Yeah. I, th- I think trip too, though. Um, not mm-hmm. again, not to knock the, knock the, the horse from, from, from the win. I just felt like the race set up absolutely beautifully. I mean, if I could bet this race in race, I probably would have bet everything I had on the six, just, just based on the, on the trip. Yeah. A lot of horses went, it was just a, it was just a different pace scenario right away. And I can tell as soon as they sprung the latch, I was in trouble with the five. Um, yeah, I felt like this, you know, Alcools needed to have a comfortable lead to really be able to, to have some staying power in the stretch. And, and I just kept looking to see like, who was the most comfortable, like the body language, right. From, from jockeys behind. And I just kept looking at, at the six, uh, strolling and just felt like, uh, Jose Ortiz had a, had a ton of horse was sitting the right trip, oddly run race and was able to take advantage. I think of a really nice trip. I will say this too. And for, for a lot of people, like I'm super into the condition book, et cetera, uh, for three-year-olds and upward, this race was, there isn't a three-year-old in the race. They're all five, six, a couple, four-year-olds. The, the biggest buyer improvement was three points in this race. It was strolling from an 80 to an 83 and a 78 to an 81 for Cantrell Hill, who ran second. I think when you look at these races and looking at the ages and noticing, Oh, there's no three-year-old start looking at the, the buyer tops for these horses. And, you know, are they even going to be sufficient to win at this type of level? I mean, Universal Payday was first time five year old off a long layoff when he's been racing at Laurel. Win with Pride had been running for ten and twelve five, but it seemed almost like an in and outer for Noda, who we know can always. I wrote eight with a question mark for the buyer. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, ran a seventy four, improved just the one point. I think Cantrell Hill off the Tom Amos, you know, claim they claimed he improved seven points, and Diodoro's gotten this horse to improve twice in a row. I think that's very hard to do when you claim off Tom Amos, but obviously Diodoro is one of the best to do it. I think in these types of races for the older types, when you're looking at buyers, don't expect 10, 15 point improvements. Just try and find those horses that are running, you know, four or five points around each other. And that's pretty much going to end up being, you know, then it comes down to the pace dynamics and obviously strolling got helped by that, but everyone else just kind of either declined four or five points or improved two or three. So it's really kind of have to find I think for me at least the easiest way for me to learn this type of race is looking at the buyers and figuring out from there yeah I think you're you're right with with the you you start getting some of the older horses in these races you're looking for consistency they usually find for at least a period of time um, what their consistent running is going to be in in these types of races and yeah obviously you do start to notice some some form decline and it usually you know starts to to, to go downhill a bit faster, but um, I think for, for a good period of time when they're in form, you're right. I think you see some very consistent uh, performances in terms of the speed figure. So, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, looking at that as, as an angle, so to speak to, uh, to use horses. Unfortunately I didn't, uh, I left this horse uh, off the, uh, off the ticket, but um, no, I, I think ran, ran, ran a nice race, got a nice trip and uh, you know, took advantage. If there was ever a race for the all button, this was the race, by the way, for people who always complain about the all button. Let's, let's move on to race number seven, optional 80,000 N1X, one and one sixteenth miles on the turf. Lots to like in here. This race reminded me a lot of just even the race from opening weekend, which was the dirt allowance where they were running a, where the top two ran 106. I thought this was a very contentious race and one I was very, very excited to get into. Yeah, this, this is a tough race. I mean, you can go a lot of different, a lot of different uh, ways in, in, in this race. And, and again, I think this was, you know, what made that pick six on Saturday uh, difficult to really try to find a, a spot to go with. But um, I went, you know, I, I went a couple different ways here. Um, the one of the horses that that I did use uh, was a horse that hasn't run on the turf. And this is usually isn't um, a betting angle or betting style for me, especially going long on the turf at Saratoga. Uh, whether it's, you know, two-year-olds, you know, just racing for the first time or even in a race like this where a horse is trying the turf uh, for the first time. I just felt like this horse has some back class. Um, first time on the turf, I felt like this horse should have been on the turf earlier and I think has early speed. So you combine all of that and the unknown, I figured I'd get, you know, a, a decent price, which uh, which I did. And uh, maybe can this horse can run them off their feet. So I tried a little bit of a different angle with the number seven uh, calibrate uh, to set the pace and uh, and to and to you know stretch out and take a, take a nice a nice early lead on this field. Um, I did like also the four who took some money uh, third time out ombre. I felt like this was a must use here. Um, you know, tough start first uh, first out came back uh, Belmont in uh, early July. 
and had a nice victory over over a yielding turf course. Um, but again, sat mid pack uh, just off the pace and, and and ran them down late. I felt like there can be some improvement um, in, in in this field, a saltier field. I felt, but uh, I felt could be uh, certainly a player, um, and did get bet uh, accordingly. Um, and then I, you know, I would say a pretty pretty obvious uh, pivot was the eleven uh, space launch. Uh, Rosario Clement heating up again. Um, Rosario is a streaky guy too. I feel like when he gets hot, he's just that clock in his head is absolutely perfect in races like this. So that's a horse I certainly wanted to use and wound up being my, uh, my top play, uh, second off a long layoff. I thought that was a decent effort, uh, last out in, uh, in Belmont. Um, again, back to the bench for a bit here, but uh, I felt like this horse would be conditioned and ready to go and, and get a nice, uh, get a nice stalking trip and uh, be able to be uh, a good, a good force. I had a big, uh, big late pace figure for this horse as well. So stock, get into the lane and get some clear, clear running. I felt that uh, the 11 space launch would, uh, would get it done for Joel and, uh, and Clement. So I had uh, the 11 on top and I backed up with the, uh, the four ombre and the seven calibre. The, the 11 is also my top pick. And I, I want to find out real quick for me before I continue uh, space launch and hombre go off at the exact same price of 3.65 to one. Uh, when you see kind of that happen, and it's the same price for two horses. Do you, does it make you want to only have one of them really when you're, you know, obviously now we're into, we're into the sequence, et cetera. And it's hard to obviously take horses back, but I always feel like when you see horses like this, even for, you know, six to one, six to one, eight to one, eight to one, what makes the public see these horses as equals in a way, when you look at the odds board. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, it's a tough question. Cause I get that quite a bit. Um, and we were even you know chatting before we, we came on about, you know, horses, you know, with that similar price, do you kind of break away and, and look for one? I think it really depends on what your opinions are beyond that. Like, especially if it's like a pick five or pick six bet. Um, listen, if, if my opinion of the, let's say the two horses are in line, um, you know, Ombre and Space Launch are very similar um, in terms of how I value the horses. And, and it happens to be, that's how the public values those horses. And I have some some longer shot opinions or some nice prices. Listen, I'm not going to get beat. I'd rather, you know, I look at it in the lens of of buying insurance. Like, what's the cost to add the other horse? Yeah. And then whatever that cost is, do you feel that that insurance cost, so to speak, can give you a nice payout with your other opinions around it? It's worth it every day. If I feel like I'm a little bit more chalky or pressing some shorter price horses, I, I might try to 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 pick one way to go. But you know, to me. I don't think it's a necessity, right? That you've got to just pick one horse and go, if you can afford it and you feel that when you walk through the sequence, and what I mean by that is what your expectations of not only who's a contender to win, but what you think their fair value price is going to be, gives you an idea of what that payout can look like. And that, that's how I determine whether or not I'll use additional horses. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it really does depends what your opinions are around it, whether or not you use the this, the, both of these horses in a case like this. We'll talk about my second horse performing arts off the rail, Brian Lynch off the maiden win. I, I just felt like this and getting Louis size, obviously I felt like uh, the jock upgrade to Louis, nothing against Drayden Van Dyke, but I think he's won a total of six races all year. No, no offense to Drayden, but just the fact that Brian put this horse here from Churchill, obviously Churchill dirt was very good. That first, that first week at Saratoga, I just thought that the trainer intent here was very, very positive for performing arts and getting a top guy like Louie on was always very interesting. Hombre, I just didn't like the yielding turf win last time out for the 83. I thought the 76 was fine, but the 76 matches up with a bunch of other horses in here. And when I already liked the other horses, the chalk, and then this horse comes in getting bet, I just wanted to pass. Let's talk about Spencer's big mistake of the weekend, Sifting Sands. The 71 at Tampa, two back, was a, was a low fig and obviously was pace help there. And this horse is obviously going off as the favorite and Manny, I think jumping on, I was talking with a friend. He said, if I was on the horse, it would probably been 15 to one. If Chad Brown going long on the turf is like 20 to one plus, first of all, I, I know, I think you're running the numbers for stats. How many times he's even had a runner like that or winners like that. Just put $2 on the horse. And I just, I it was like, this horse is like a mediocre contender to me. I just skipped it completely. I, I think I might have even put a couple of exacta plays in uh, underneath and just use them w- with the top two. I just the fact that a Chad Brown horse was just a huge, huge price on the turf in what I thought was a salty race to begin with. I just completely jacked up this horse in my in my opinion in my betting in my betting. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's it's a horse that you look at, and it certainly certainly fits. And uh, the numbers I'm showing here, that's the first win in a while, <laughs> that kind of price. So I'm looking at uh, an offer before uh, before the weekend. So um, that's interesting. Out of uh, I'm showing the last couple of years, 18 starts with um, with only one win, and that was that was the last weekend of odds of 20 to one or greater. So uh, with only 10 percent in the money as well. So um, again, that's, I mean, obviously that's a stat that would push you away from a horse like this, but you know, it's, it's one of those, like, like we're doing right now. I think this it's, it's a healthy process, not to say, geez, how the heck did I not include that horse? You, you know, the reasons why, right. I know you alluded like, man, mm-hmm. it's the biggest mistake I made, which yeah, I, I get it. But I think in reality, when you looked at other horses that were out there, I felt there were so many others that fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good to go back through it because you you have a little bit of a clearer lens when you look at it. And and again, I just think you can learn from that and and look at price versus, you know, expectations of performance. And I felt, yeah, retrospect, this is one I should have uh, I should have included. For me or for both of us really is a consensus pick of the 11 space launch also using hombre and calibrate as a B. Let's see who can win this optional right now. And they're off. It's Mira Mission and Calibrate. Now Sifting Sands move up. Ombre is in between horses. So the four of them are right together and they're joined on the outside by Space Launch. As the field goes into the clubhouse turn, Ombre has come away with the lead. Space Launch on the outside runs in second. Sifting Sands down at the rail. And Calibrate is next in fourth. And then it is Mira Mission, who is back running in fifth, down on the inside. Moving up a spot from the outside is Never Explain. Uh, then comes a Moon Quad, followed by Sigiloso and a Shady McGee. At the back, a Performing Arts, followed by Future Victory. And uh, trailing the field is Dream Big Dreams in 12th. The quarter posted in 27 and 2. They're moving up the back stretch. And the leader is Space Launch who has made that lead from the outside post. Space launch in front by three-quarters of a length with Never Explain running in second. Gap of two to Ombre in third. Sifting Sands is down at the rail and in fourth. Then comes Mira Mission in fifth. Moonquad's on the outside in sixth. Calibrate is dropping back. Passed by Dream Big Dreams. Also Sigiloso. And in between horses is Shady McGee. They go around the far turn. On the outside, it's never explained. On the inside, it is Space Launch. They're joined by Ombre, then Sifting Sands, Sigiloso. On the extreme outside, Mira Mission will need a way through. So will Shady McGee. Down at the rail is Dream Big Dreams as the field moves for the eighth pole. Here is Never Explain, joined now by Sifting Sands. Sifting Sands and Never Explain, and the two of them are right together. Sifting Sands on the outside, Never Explain on the inside. They come down for the finish. It's another photo here on a Saturday at Saratoga. And the number three, Sifting Sands gets it done. $58 balloon mutual, 83 buyer. And not only that, we have... Good old Shug running in second with another 83 buyer with a 26 to one shot. So for two trainers that hit at 20%, uh, nice dollar exacta for 733. Yeah, for sure. And I'll say this, looking back at the 10, never explain. I can't come up with this horse. I just Mm -hmm. can't. I know it's coming off a win, um, but I just felt was just very far below what I expected the, uh, the talent in this group. So the 10 coming in second. And that was uh, that was a hard fought finish there uh, in the end. I, I couldn't really come up with the 10, but like we talked about before, you know, I felt like, yeah, long layoff after the first start in Saratoga, um, you know, uh, a, a win closing into very slow fractions at Tampa, um, very evenly run ho-hum performance at Aqueduct goes back to the bench again. You know, listen, that, that's a pattern that I felt with Chad you know, the horse has run fresh off the layoff. And uh, that's one thing I'm kind of kicking myself a bit of looking at a conditioner like Chad, a horse that's proven to run well off the bench, a horse that can close in the, the slow fractions. Um, you know, I just felt like I, I, I missed this one uh, for sure. And it's, yeah, it's a lot easier to look back after the race is over, but that's, that's a pattern that I can see at least to include, at least to include underneath, or at least to include in either a B or a C line. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't do either one of, of them. Um, I was surprised at that middle move that Rosario made on Space Launch. I don't understand it. 
I, I don't want to criticize jockeys. One of my, I don't want to criticize anything that I cannot do myself. I cannot ride a thoroughbred horse. I'm just very confused with that. There, I felt there was no reason to press that pace. I felt was running at a nice, comfortable clip and really just pushed the front end. It just made that pace even hotter. And again, fell into the hands of a horse uh, like, like the, like the three, uh, sifting sand. So I, I, you know, I just, I was very confused on that ride. And as soon as I saw that move, I felt like chances were, uh, were slim to none. Well, I, I mean, we'll talk about the middle move, but I mean, first off they break out of the latch. I, I see him four wide going into the first turn, obviously got better position as the turn was happening, ended up second, but I was just like, Joe, well, I mean, I know you're going for the lead, but I mean, you're from the 11 post. I mean, at least try and get some position and listen, Rosario is very streaky. And I feel like you can watch one race where he is the bee's knees and the next race. It is like, why are you even riding a racehorse? And I listen, we're not supposed to, uh, I was listening to Pete talk to, to Mig over, uh, the, uh, the Brentwood talk from last week. And, you know, Mig said, if you want to, you know, talk to a jockey or you know it's, it's just you know you can complain a little bit because it, it does get frustrating and listen you're mad about the middle move i was mad that he was four wide to start the race off and as soon as i saw that and then i saw the middle move and just said i guess he just wants to compound the error for this horse and listen you need almost a perfect trip, trip from the 11 post to begin with so once that happens i mean then we're super dead in the water uh thoughts on your other horse calibrate obviously first time turf Maybe you can give an excuse. This field is just that freaking tough. And maybe the second time turf wouldn't be as bad. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm just, I would like to see, um, again, nothing against uh, Santana, but I just would like to see maybe a different rider that, that wants, that's very intense. So almost the opposite of what Rosario did of, of, I felt like, again, the horse's weapon was speed. And I just felt had the opportunity to really let this horse go and get out there. Um, didn't really do that. I felt, um, I think just kind of invited horses into the race and, and didn't really, you know, take advantage of what I felt the horse's best uh, attribute was. I mean, again, maybe just not fast enough and, and, and maybe that's it, but yeah, I think that's a horse that I would look to, uh, to play back with. I would love to see, you know, a, a jockey upgrade here, um, with, with a jockey that's intent on going to the, to the lead and, and kind of at all costs, like, I'm okay with that. Like if that's your, your weapon, yeah and you really do press hard for the lead and you finish last, I'm okay with that. You tried what you felt was your best angle and it didn't work. Um, I just felt with, with, with Rosario on space launch was I can forgive the, the being wide on the first turn. It's tough, especially with a big field like this. But as the race went on, when you find yourself in a pretty comfortable spot, I don't really feel there's any reason to try to press the pace um, I didn't feel like there was any horses out in the front end that had the talent to steal it up front. I was just very confused by that. So I can forgive early on a bit, but I just felt that, uh, that late move, um, you know, that was just tearing up tickets, uh, mentally in my brain. When I saw that happen. <laughs> Let's move on to our last race, race number eight, maiden special weight, one mile inner turf course. I thought that was pretty competitive. What'd you like in here, Matt? Yeah, I thought this was a competitive race. Um, I was super boring in this race, um, you know, not to, uh, I, don't, I don't think I need to sell anybody on uh, using, uh, you know, two Chad Brown horses, but uh, um, I like the three as my top pick, uh, Rastafara. Um, third time out, I think this horse has some talent. Um, felt that first race at Tampa was actually pretty good. I know uh, when you're seven to five, uh, you should win comes right back again off the layoff at, uh, at Belmont. I thought that was a good field. I thought that was a field that was better, um, than, than this group here. And, um, I thought would get, I thought we'd get the right trip, but I felt like it was, it was pretty equal. And I wound up using them for the most part equally on, on pick five tickets with, uh, with the one, uh, split the double um, again, second off a layoff, similar um, running line here, but again, another horse I felt had has talent um, again, coming out of a race that um, that is, you know, I think better than what we're facing here just missed uh, coming way out of it. That was the only thing. I don't know if the pace would be, uh, would be on uh, to, to get that kind of a run, but I felt this horse just missed a couple of times. It's only a matter of time for this horse breaks through, but I felt the one split the double, and uh, and the three uh, Rastafari are, are pretty pretty similar, and those were my top plays. Um, I did include the eight uh, naked on the beach, and that it was more of kind of playing the unknown for for Norm Cassie here. Um, I felt that first race at Keelan was a was a good race uh, over a good turf course, uh, finished fourth, but, but only missed by about a length and a half. 
And then this, the second race back at Churchill just took a horrible step, mm-hmm. lost all chance whatsoever. And I just, I was interested to see this horse coming back, you know, off, uh, you know, off the trainer switch to, to Norm Cassie. And, and, and again, I just felt like we haven't seen, you know, this horse's best run yet. And I figured with the two chads involved, you're, you're going to get a big price, which we did. And, and I felt like I wanted to use that one as well. So it was the, uh, the one, two as I'm sorry, one, three as A's for me. And then the eight I used as a lone B and uh, also played around some win bets uh, as well. I felt like that price was too, too good to give up on an unknown. So I, I threw a few bucks uh, to win uh, on the eight naked on the beach as well. To talk about being just absolutely boring as, as all get out. I mean, Rastafari and split the double for me were pretty much the two horses. I did have a note on split the double out of that last race. It came back as a key race. The winner came right back to win off the turf and one X with an 84 buyer. The fifth shipped a moment to win a maiden special weight with a 68 buyer. Obviously that 68 is not probably what they need to win here. I just like, I, I like that having that note, obviously both could win. I thought just with the day Jose was having, I just wanted this one over Irad. Because I feel like Irad's price is still baked into every absolutely everything he runs, and Jose's isn't yet. So I, I obviously the the one went off the favorite, which kind of stinks. I thought the, the two baby Bly with Joel. I said Joel had a bad turf ride last time. This is the one where he'll probably end up doing well. I just didn't know how far out I really wanted this horse to come from. And it's always you know everyone talks about closers and late late closing kick on the turf. Just made me a little bit nervous seeing that last race. Your other choice, naked on the beach. I just like, like I said before, if if when I see a turf horse ride sand or turf horse have Santana on his back, and then goes to someone like Junior or Jose Lescano, I upgrade the absolute all get out of that horse. Santana is one of the best dirt sprint riders. I just he doesn't get turf to me. I, I I'm sure he has wins a, a good a good amount of wins. It's just when I need him, it just he never seems to come up and. uh come up with that good performance for me. It was just really super simple to split the double Rastafari for me. Let's see who can break their maiden here in the eighth right now. There's good talk out for the early lead. And from the inside post split, then double races in second. Midnight Choir is in third. Rastafari runs in fourth. Ingress is alongside in fifth as they move for the clubhouse turn. It is good talk on top. Split then double is down at the rail. And right alongside is a Midnight Choir. Then Rastafari running in fourth. Baby Blythe, the gray, is in fifth. Ingress is on the outside in sixth. It's a gap of three. Back to Naked on the Beach. Then Vintage Style as the field races up the back stretch. At the back of the pack is Ego Trip. The leader is Good Talk in front here. Good Talk by three-quarters of a length. Midnight Choir right there in second, a little more than a length. Back to Split, then Double, who is running in third. And on the outside is Rastafara in fourth, another length and a half to Baby Blythe in fifth. Ingress is alongside in sixth, four lengths to Naked on the Beach. Then Vintage Style and Ego Trip. They're going into the far turn. It is still big long shot. Good talk in front here by a half length. Midnight Choir getting closer on the outside in second. Two lengths to split then double. And Rastafara, then Baby Blythe, who will need a way through here. On her outside is Ingress. The field is coming down for the eighth pole. And on the outside, here comes Rastafara now to grab the lead. It's Rastafara in front, and she is kicking in here in the deep stretch. A late move on the outside from Ego Trip, but it is Rastafara by a length and a half. Ego Trip came from last to get second. Split then double was third. Ingress finished fourth. And the number three, Rastafari, gets it done. 7-10. 84 is the buyer. Split the double for me runs third with an 80, and they get split by Ego Trip, the number eight for Tyler Gaffley and Brendan Walsh. Brendan Walsh, first time in North America. Yeah, it was a costly exacta for me. <laughs> I had a big, big exacta, uh, 3-1. But, you know, I just, just got caught uh, with a horse I couldn't come up with with, with the nine ego trip. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, again, it, it was one of those races that I, I it was run. It was it was ran the way I expected it to be to be run. And, and um, you know, listen, sometimes boring is still profitable. Yeah. So depending on what your opinions are around it, and we talk about that a lot, but, you know, again, I think that's one thing that I've learned is just because it's Chad and just because there's a lot of talent on the turf, it's like everyone else is going to do it. Well, if you can come up with something creative around it, then it still makes that opinion worth something. Uh, and I still felt, listen, five to two is a heck of a price on this horse. So, um, yeah, it was it was pretty, uh, pretty boring finish. Uh, one horse that I did like a lot was that Furster uh, from Bill Mott. 
um, the six uh, ingress uh, with Alvarado. Uh, I thought that horse ran very nicely uh, late, uh, finished fourth. Um, that's one horse I want to watch coming back as a second time starter there. So that was, uh, it, that was interesting. I was waiting to see what the board would be for that mm-hmm. horse first time. Um, I got off pretty quick. Just, I felt there was talent of horses that have run. And like I mentioned before, I, I usually do try to, to pivot away from, from firsters routing on the turf, but, uh, but that's one horse I want to keep my, uh, keep my eye on. For it being a nine horse field and obviously the buyer par is 81 for it being a route. I take six points off. So a 75, I mean, the top two ran above the par, the next two ran within it. So four of the nine were pretty solid in this race. I think even a horse like midnight choir, or some of those horses can just be dangerous because they only have to prove just a little bit. And they face a really, this for me was one of the saltier groups I've seen on the turf so far. And I mean, the Chad, Chad daily double pays $98. I mean, tell me the last time a Chad, Chad all turf double paid. Forty dollars. I'd I'd be stunned. <laughs> that's uh yeah. That's if you asked me that before the day started, I would say <laughs> you're dead wrong. I would have booked all of your action and been broke. So, uh <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. So we definitely don't see that uh, that happening often. Uh, hopefully, there was uh, some some folks out there that just liked the number three and, and played it and, and hit it. But um, no, again, listen. In retrospect, it should have been. I think it was a long shot you could have had, and I felt this was a race you could narrow down to the, to the one and the three, if you valued them equally, you know, you could, mm-hmm. you know, again, one thing I've done well, I think in doubles, especially is, is I will separate them, especially they, um, the golden hour wager, uh, out in the West coast. I can't wait for that to come back. Grading those differently. I felt like has been really successful, even if I feel they're, they're somewhat similar. So again, there's different ways to play it, but you know, again, I think, uh, I think, you know, playing around it and looking for opinions to support it, you know, yeah, they're simple, they're straightforward, but I think you can still make some money uh, by, by looking to plan. I will say this as well. Now that we've closed out week two, uh, week one, Christoph Clement was the only trainer to have two $10 winners within the week. And this week it was actually Chad Brown. who was the only trainer to have two $10 winners. Pletcher also won just two on Saturday. So for everyone who was, you know, super excited to see everyone else winning, I uh, my friend told me, I guess, Bill Mott went over to Chad after one of the races and goes, can you save some for us little guys, please? Like <laughs> after the, uh, after the slow start for him, I mean, I guess now everyone's going to be nervous. Chad winning two on Saturday, Pletcher winning two on Saturday. And I mean, let's say, talk about that as well. I mean, Chad's got six wins now. I think there's four or five with five wins as well. The, uh, the trainer title is also very tight as we uh, go into week number three. Yeah, no, I, I think both the, uh, the, 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 the jockey, um, the, the jockey standings, as well as the trainer standings and be very, very competitive. Um, I wish we could bet on it. I wish it was a, a futures type pool oh, to, uh, to wager on. It would be a lot of fun. I think, especially at Saratoga being so competitive, but uh, yeah, I, you know, listen, you know, Chad is, is a trainer, you, you, you know, in a slump, you want to try to look at some of these horses maybe that are getting, getting uh, passed by the public, a bit, especially second time around. Right. I think that's where Chad's really going to hit his stride uh, once we start hitting, uh, start hitting August. But uh, listen, Chad's going to be Chad. He's, 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 uh, he's a heck of a horseman. He gets his horses fit and ready to roll just like any athlete. I know he's not running the race or riding the race, but you know, again, I think, I think of it in the same realm, you, you have your ups and downs. And, and I think, you know, quality will, will outperform just about anything. And I think uh, Chad is obviously just that. So I think, uh, you know, uh, buyer beware when it comes to, uh, to uh, to laying off of Chad uh, going forward in some of these races. I'll give you one prop right now. Junior Javier, they both have 35 and 36 starts, both have three wins. Who do you think gets more wins by the end of the meet? You're saying Chad or Javier? Or no, I'm saying uh, Javier or uh, Junior Alvarado, sorry. Over over Junior. Um, oh, boy, that's 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 a good one. I I don't know. My my heart wants to go uh, wants to go uh, Junior. Um <laughs> But uh, I just, I've always been a big fan, always been a big fan. Um, that's, that's a tough one. I'd probably put that, uh, God, I'd probably put that 110 either way. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's a good one. I'd, I'd probably pull for Alvarado on that one. I, I would tend to agree with you too. One of my dad's favorites, one of my favorites. Crazy that he's 0 for 18 so far on the turf. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I want to thank so much my friend, Matt Vagfolgi. Matt, where can people find you on social media? So you can find me on Twitter at, at BlinkersOn22. Um, Love to chat anything uh, horse racing. Check me out over at uh, In the Money Media uh, as well. And uh, yeah, at the track, you run into me at the track. Let's uh, let's talk horses. So it's a great time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year, and uh, we're just getting going. I will say this before we get off the air: uh, I'm bringing a crowd with me this Saturday. It's going to be me, uh, 
Marshall Sterling, Vinny from Real Dynasty Picks, uh, Philly Boy from In The Money as well, and uh, our friend Steven, who's another young-time handicapper. We are going to be closing this track down come this Saturday. <laughs> I will be there as well, and oddly enough, I've got a, a big crew, more of the family uh, coming, but uh, you won't be able to miss us uh, on the, uh, in the porch this Saturday. So big crew as well, and uh, hopefully we get, to, we get to meet up. For sure. Look, looking forward to it. To thank, again, all the wonderful listeners for this program and my special guest, Matt Vagbolti. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.